What's up my friend? It's time for Powerful Possibilities, ADHD, Newly Diagnosed and Beyond. I'm your host ADHD coach Catherine and this week we are going to explore ADHD and time part one. The reason this is part one is because I wanted to make sure that you are not overwhelmed. I feel like a lot of people talk about ADHD and time and it quickly becomes about productivity, about procrastination, about all the kind of organisational stuff. To me that's a separate challenge that is connected with time but it's also not. It's to do with your motivation, activation, all of these things. So this week I want to just focus in on time as in how we understand time how we experience time, how that affects our lives. We're going to look at some scientific data, some research, and then we're going to look at some practical strategies. First up, let's address the elephant in the room. I am an ADHD coach with ADHD. I still find time a challenge because my brain simply does not get time in the way that other people my age, which is in my 50s, somehow do. They have this uncanny ability to estimate how long it's going to take them to get places, how long it will take them to do things and slot it into a reasonable day. Like many of my clients, that's not something that comes naturally to me. We're always going to struggle with, but we can be successful. We can do lots of things. We just can't do all of them at the same time within. We, unfortunately, we can't bend time and space. I'm pretty sure when somebody can do that, they will have ADHD. But right now, we can't bend time and space. So we need to make friends with the concept of a single timeline and a continuum that stretches out in front and behind us. One of the things I found really difficult about becoming a parent was now having to anticipate the timeline of somebody else, a small person who required a different set of actions to happen before things could be started, before we could do things, how long things would take. And I feel like for lots of people who are parents, that is when we really start to struggle and we might be the person who's always late to the play date. We might be the parent who is always running in at the last minute at the school gate. And to be honest, there have been times when I have been the last person to pick my kid up. I haven't quite forgotten completely, but it's been close. So if you're somebody who struggles with time and who's found it more complicated when you became a parent, I hear you. The other group of people who might struggle with time are people who are managers. When you head up to the C-suite and you are suddenly in charge of your own time. People who are in running their own business. You might be a CEO, you might be a freelancer. If you are the person who is in charge of time and you have ADHD, this is an episode for you, but it's not about how to structure your day, how to fit more in, how to time block. This is not that podcast. This is about why is time so hard for your brain? Next week, we're going to look at things like procrastination, prioritization, inertia, paralysis, whatever you want to call it, because those are separate challenges to the understanding of time. They are related to different executive functions. So although time does come into it, it's actually more about 
planning, prioritization, importance and organizational aspects rather than time in itself. When we talk about ADHD and time, what are the most common problems? And the one that you'll hear quite frequently is now and not now. This is thanks to Dr. Barclay, who is one of my heroes and whose research YouTube I watch every Saturday. It's a delight. I highly recommend it. He talks about ADHD is living in the now and if it's not now, then it's not ever going to happen. We don't have that grasp of in a week, in two weeks, in a month. It just feels like it's quite never going to happen until suddenly it's right in front of you. So for instance, if you need to apply for a passport and you have to do it 12 weeks before you go on holiday, for many of my clients, you need to reapply for your ADHD access to work support 12 weeks before your current award expires. If you are living in a 12 month stretch, 12 weeks could be any old time. And that is a really common ADHD challenge around time. Temporal discounting or time blindness, time agnosia, however you want to describe it, is this sense that we just don't understand the way that time works. It's either really fast, it's really slow, it just doesn't seem to move at all, or it's we live in this bubble outside of time. We can't estimate how long things are going to take. We struggle to plan ahead so that there is enough time for things to occur in the right order. And anecdotally, I've spoken to several clients who find that without medication, they feel that time drags incredibly slowly. Or at the same time, they can wake up in the morning, have a full day to themselves and think, great, I've got all this time. And then suddenly it's bedtime again. And they think, what did I do? Where did that day go? Time and temporal discounting for ADHD is a biological Thing, and I'll get to that in a minute. It's a brain structure. We just don't ever grasp that uh, flow of time. And that brings me to the next thing, which is not described very often, but I think you will recognise it. And that's called time flow. How quickly is time passing? Do we have a feeling that time is drip, dripping or is it going quickly? And the flow of time is something that we might struggle with more than your average brain. We struggle with the how long, both in the future and in the past. We might find it more difficult to guess or have an educated guess, an estimate of how long something is going to take. And at the same time, we will struggle to remember how long something took in the past. Estimating time in the future and the past, even when we've done something many times, like recording a podcast, could be something that you struggle with more with ADHD. A lot of this comes down to how we feel time. And there are some studies that look a little bit at this, which we'll come to. But if you put this into the temporal discounting box, it's why we struggle to delay gratification for almost any length of time at all. It's why we will stay up watching another episode, watching another video, reading another chapter, even though we know that tomorrow the price for that is going to be feeling really tired, maybe not getting things done, feeling rubbish, just not showing up as our best. We look at all of that and instead of thinking, oh, I better go to sleep now, we think, that feels really painful. I want to avoid it. So I'm going to focus on something that is enjoyable right now. And that is classic ADHD. It means that we tend to select the immediate payoff 
far more often than average adults. You expect it with kids. There's the famous marshmallow experiment. Kids are asked to wait for a few minutes and if they don't eat the marshmallow in front of them, when the scientist comes back, they will be given extra marshmallows. Kids with ADHD struggle more with that, but so do adults. The metaphorical marshmallow of having something really tasty and comforting that makes you feel good and kind of makes the uncomfortable feeling that you've been dealing with all day go away just for a few seconds is more attractive than thinking, hey, if I don't do this and add in a workout and things, I'm going to feel really healthy and strong this time next year. And it comes down to, I think we've talked before about mean reward deficiency, all of that stuff. But time comes into it as well because we just don't feel time in the same way as other people. And that's why lots of people call ADHD a performance problem. We know what to do. We even know how to do it, but we can't do it because the now is so much more interesting and fun and rewarding than the future. And now means we're avoiding any pain, any uncomfortable feelings or emotions. And as long as we stay here, we're okay. But when we start to project yourself into the future, there's risk, there's anxiety, there's the fear of the, the micro failures. There's the wonderful phrase by coach Brendan Mann, the wall of awful. He talks about it as every time we have a failure, it adds a brick. It's a terrific metaphor and I will put a link in the show notes. Brendan's a terrific coach. And this wall of awful, the micro failure buildup is one of the reasons why now feels great. Now is just fine thinking about the future and thinking about the past, we're confronted with all of this. And as with ADHD, emotional dysregulation and avoiding negative emotions is one of the big factors in how we behave and how we structure our time, how we structure our lives. We are more likely to try and avoid a negative emotion than typically developing brain because it's so very real. Time doesn't feel real. I want to mention something that I found in my research that is really amazing. It's called the Zimbardo Time Perspective Inventory. And people with ADHD tend to show up in the future positive sector of this assessment is a pretty solid predictor of ADHD. So think about your brain as a really busy office. In this office, you might have those wonderful tubes where little capsules containing information zip back and forward so that everybody is doing the right thing at the right time. There's always lots going on and your job is to make sure you get the right information at the right time and take action on it. Can you see where we're going? Now imagine you're in the office but you have ADHD and these tubes carrying the little capsules with information are not working just as they should do. So you get some information before you need it and then you don't know what to do with it. You get some information after you need it and you're not operating in the same time and same sync as everybody else in the office. And so this can mean that time is moving really fast and although you know how to study for a test, when the test is you just never quite get started. So it's a bit like 
you can see you know the old movies when there's a train going along and the side of the train is open it's a bit like you can see the open side of the train you need to get on the train to keep up with everybody else but it's just going too fast and you can't jump on and with the zimbardo time perspective inventory what they found was that people with adhd almost routinely come up with a different understanding of time it's not that we don't know what time is but we just don't feel it and understand it in the same way as other people and our way of thinking about what's coming up next is different and that means planning ahead is really challenging and there was a czech national study where they looked at a lot of data and although they found that different presentations of adhd experienced different time challenges and there wasn't like one consistent thing that they would pick out as an adhd constant marker for time they did find that the more severe your adhd impacted your life the more severe end of the symptomatology the more you struggled with time, the more significant your challenges with time management in real life became. So there is this uh, connection between how much your your ADHD is acting up and showing up in life and how you're able to manage your time. And I was looking at studies about time estimation. Most of the studies about time that I looked at, that I found about ADHD, were looking at children and teenagers and they were about things like time estimation which is relevant to adults right especially for running a business if we're planning things responsible for managing projects etc there was one really interesting one that looked at estimating time to collision for instance in a driving game and what they found was that they compared a group of young people with autism and a group of young people with adhd i don't know if they screened for people crossing over the two because that's a fairly recent development and diagnosis but they found that young people with autism actually failed to estimate time to collision more accurately than the ADHD group but I thought it was fascinating that the ADHD group were less affected in time to collision for that study at least than the autism group but as we know there is a lot of neurological commonality between the two diagnoses. The other problem with most of the studies that I found was that the method of study, how they conducted the experiments, the groups of people that they brought in, what they were assessing, there were just too many variations. There was too much unpredictability. So it's really hard to get a sense of the data behind what we know is happening in ADHD when we talk about time and how we live in time. Coming back to the Zimbardo study by, I'm going to butcher the name, Tachek, which looked at the Zimbardo time perspective inventory and ADHD adults, what they found was that ADHD adults tend to live in this hedonic present. And that's exactly what it sounds like, hedonism, pleasure, enjoyment and present. We tend to focus on the short-term enjoyment of things and the avoiding the long-term consequences of that and this isn't surprising to me but it was really interesting to see it confirmed in somebody looking at an application of the Zimbardo time perspective inventory scale in ADHD and fortunately I was trying to find a live version so that you could go and do this inventory and see if it was applying to you I haven't been able to find one live online 
I think it's maybe out of date. But uh, if anybody finds one, let me know, because I think it would be fascinating to complete that scale yourself and just see if you fall into that present hedonism pocket. And the good news from that study, which is from 2019, is that although we know that it's the mesolimbic and dopaminergenic areas of your brain that are affected by ADHD and that are impacting how you understand time, that study found that medication almost normalised a large part of the impact of ADHD on time perception. And certainly I anecdotally have found that easier, but I know that it's, I know it's a neurochemical neurotransmitter impact. I know that it's because my neurotransmitters are being tweaked by the medication, as well as knowing much more about how I work and what works for me. So it is possible to make changes and I don't want you to go away feeling like this is impossible. I'm never going to manage to change. You can, but it's not just down to medication. There are other things we can do, which we will get to in just a minute. And just before we get into what can we do, I found some really interesting information about the emotional impact on time. And again, we're going to come back to emotional dysregulation and ADHD and how important that is. What they found was that if you felt emotionally closer to future you in one month, 12 months, six months, however far away you could imagine, the more emotionally connected you were to that future self, the easier it was to make changes. So if we can think of that and pop that to one side. The other amazing thing that I hadn't really considered before, and this is why I love doing research, is that our emotions have a huge impact on how we interact with that future. And this is for, these are for studies that are not to do with ADHD in particular. This is for everyone. Think about how we experience stress in our daily lives and at the moment it's December and in the UK it's dark, it's cold, it's not very nice and everybody is getting stressed out about the upcoming holiday. There's a lot of stress going around. How does that make you feel? Does it give you the emotional space to look far ahead and make choices that are in line with maybe your long-term goals? Or what happens is our bodies experience this stress and think of it as, an, as a threat. It's a danger. What do we do when we're in danger? Our amygdala takes over. Now, I've maybe mentioned the amygdala hijack before. It's this idea that your amygdala is a sentry, a guard. And when you detect a threat in your environment, that could be a bear, but it could also be the, the person in the other car looking for the last car parking slot in the supermarket when you're looking for the last bit of Christmas shopping that threat activates your amygdala and your amygdala isn't interested in running a marathon in a year's time. It wants you to be safe right now. So we focus on immediate safety. And the thing is, we don't even need to experience the threat or the challenge. If we anticipate it, if we're expecting it to happen, we activate that stress response. And this is a neurological response. It's not something that we are in charge of, bear with me, we will be in future, we can at least respond differently. But unless we're aware of that, we are going to respond, we are going to react in a kind of instinctive way. And the things that happen, the things that are affected 
when we experience a threat and stress is our attention, our emotion and our behaviours all adapt to protect us from this source of stress, from the threat. Not only are you going to be changing how much you can pay attention to things away from the threat, you're also going to be changing your behaviour to protect yourself in the here and now. And you're also, you're also going to be more vigilant. So you're going to react more to the mundane stress that comes on and happens around you. Yeah, minor inconveniences become big stressors. And the more that happens, the more habituated you become to living in this state of vigilance. And the more sensitive you're, um, or more trigger happy, should we say, your amygdala becomes. So we shift towards our immediate concern. And your immediate concern is not what's going to happen in 12 months. Your immediate concern is being here and safe right now. And that means even people without ADHD are experiencing a shortened time horizon. And we're going to talk about time horizons because if your time horizon is no longer one year, five years, 10 years, then you're thinking, well, if I keep behaving like this, then my liver is not going to be happy. It'll affect my joints, my bones, my heart. If your time horizon isn't capable of seeing that far ahead, all you're going to care about is managing the stress right now, whether you have ADHD or not. But we know when we add in ADHD, not only are we going to react to stress more, but our time horizon is already short. What are the brain differences that cause this problem when we have ADHD and we're thinking about time? So in MRI scans, they found that there's a difference in the volume of grey matter in the cerebellum and also in the frontal lobe. But particularly in the cerebellum, those differences are hypothesized or are theorized to be connected to your perception of time. One of the reasons that might be is that your reticular activating system is the kind of system that is responsible for your circadian rhythm when you get up, when you go to sleep. So our routine, our time, there's also impacting attention and dopamine. If your reticular activating system is in the back of your brain and in the cerebellum area, if that's connected with how we experience time and there's less matter there, then that is going to physically change how we experience and feel the passage of time. And the neurotransmitters that are responsible for memory and attention, dopamine of course, is the prime mover here, are also responsible for how we understand and work through time are also responsible for how we predict time. So if we are already short on neurotransmitters because we have ADHD and we're dealing with attention problems, we're also going to experience problems predicting time. And because we can't rely on our own brains to accurately predict time, we pay a very high cost in terms of energy and focus when we make that a priority. Again, that circadian rhythm. If we are struggling with our reticular activating system to establish a good bedtime and waking routine, if that's something that you always find difficult, and I do, then it's going to impact how we experience and predict time. And this physical difference in your brain means you should let go of that judgment and shame and guilt. It's not about your willpower. No matter what people in the comments on social media might say to you, it's about your brain being different. Yes, you can do it. Yes, you can make changes, but it's going to be a more intentional, proactive choice for you 
than it would be for somebody else your age. So what can we do? And there are other brain differences that I haven't gone into in detail here. But what can we do? Because that's what we really care about. This is what we want to know. How can we make changes in how we deal with time on a daily basis and long term? Now, there are endless tools and apps that are perfect to add to your toolbox. And I can imagine you rolling your eyes and saying, none of them work. I've tried them all. I'm going to invite you gently to think, Maybe it was my expectation of what this app or platform or program would do. Maybe I need to think about it differently. And maybe knowing that it's my brain that is wired and works differently is going to give me permission to play with those apps a little bit more and have different expectations of what I can achieve and what they can do for me. There is no perfect app. There is no perfect solution for every single brain but I like to layer things up I like to experiment I like to try one thing after another and eventually you will come up with your own unique recipe for ADHD supports and scaffolding that work for you so instead of giving yourself a hard time for apps you've tried that haven't worked I want you to get playful okay have some humor bring some lightness into this We've survived so far. It hasn't been easy. But now we've got these incredible bits of knowledge. We've got the acceptance, the self-compassion, and we're going to bring in some scaffolding and structure and tech because we still have access to technology and the internet and who knows what the future will bring. I, for one, am grateful to our AI overlords. But thinking about it this way, what can you do right now? How can you layer things up? And I wanted to briefly touch on one kind of therapy that I saw mentioned, which I've never experienced, not seen anybody practicing, but I thought it was relevant and I wanted to mention it before we get into the tools and things. And again, I am not a therapist. I am not a counsellor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I am merely a coach. And as a person with ADHD and autism, I am sharing what I find useful and interesting with you as my equal and partner in the journey to understanding and having a great life with ADHD and thinking about what's possible. All of that out of the way, I want to briefly mention something called time, time perspective therapy. Not my area, but I was intrigued by it. And if you've heard of it or if you've done it, I would love to know. So let me know. Time perspective therapy was developed from CBT and it's used more so with people with post-traumatic stress problems. And I know many people with ADHD also have PTSD or CPTSD, partly because of how the world treats us, but also because the world is a traumatic place. And when you have PTSD, CBT can be really helpful. And what time perspective therapy does is it takes the CBT model and adapts it so that you're focusing on looking at patterns that you've developed to cope with stress, to cope with the past and then how to resolve those problems and how to cope with them differently in a way that helps you and your loved ones. That's as much detail as I could find about it. But what they did share was that they found keeping people constantly reliving past traumas or really negative experiences had a negative impact on the person in therapy. 
And I think this is something that I've experienced. There's a point at which reliving your past is no longer helpful in terms of healing and making progress. But with someone who has PTSD, they get stuck in this quicksand of the negative past and they feel that the future is hopeless. And that is a horrible place to be. So the goal of the time perspective therapist is to help people shift from out of the time sand, out of the the quicksand of the past and develop a more positive view of the future. They describe that as the past negative and the present fatalist. We feel hopeless, we feel powerless. And within the time perspective therapy, they allow people to find past positive memories. So the past gradually moves from being a really negative space into having these little shining moments that they can hang on to and also create a sense of hope or possibility as we would describe it for the future. And to me that's quite a coach-like approach to dealing with PTSD but I would always go and find a qualified therapist if you're looking at something like time perspective therapy. I just thought it was really interesting and wanted to share it with you. But before we look at tools I want you to have a moment and grab a pen and a bit of paper or bookmark this on the app or whatever you're using to watch this or listen to it and ask yourself these questions before you start trying different things to deal with your time. I want you to think where are my specific challenges showing up and how do they affect me in my day-to-day life? Then I want you to think What do I want to change about that? If it's causing me stress, am I ready to let go of the stress? Am I ready to let go of the pain and the discomfort and the shame that this is causing me? Am I ready to do that? Then I want you to think about what are your preferred processing modalities? And I'm going to be doing a webinar on that in January so that if you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, don't panic. Processing modalities are how you prefer to absorb and process and share information. So I'm very visual, I'm very conceptual, I'm also very tactile and kinesthetic and I bring all of those together to create my own particular type of tools. You might be somebody who's very auditory, you might be somebody who's very verbal and it's like learning styles but not quite. So processing modalities, how do you like to learn things and what's easiest for you? Are you somebody who can hear things and process them quickly? Or are you somebody who just needs a big old picture, something right in front of your face? Then I want you to jump into your metaphorical DeLorean. I want you to jump into your DeLorean, into your back to the future car and think, who do I want to be in the future? How do I want to be living? What's it going to feel like in my body in the future? What is my job or my home going to look like in the future? And For me, jumping into the DeLorean um, makes that much easier to do. You can pause this, write down DeLorean and then jump into your future. How does it feel? Is it exciting? Is it painful? Is it peaceful? Is it exciting? What's happening? And spend some time there. Really get to know what you want your future to be like. Then when you've recorded that, I want you to write down How are you going to record your experiments with time and the results and what's going to work for you? Because if you've just got 10 different notebooks and I love a bit of stationery, so there's no shame in loving notebooks. But if you have 10 of them, 
how are you going to know which one it's in? Find one central place and choose where you're going to restore it. Make it as pleasant, attractive and easy for you as possible. So I'll put all of these questions into the show notes and into my blog and wherever you find me so that you can go through these questions and get a really clear picture of why you're taking the time to experiment with these tools and apps and strategies. The first one might surprise you. I want you to get an analog clock or an analog watch, one with hands that go round. When we are working with young people, we have to talk about the sweep of time, how time passes. And there's something about digital clocks that just don't do the same thing for our brains. And it's a bit like the way writing something feels very different for your brain than typing it. So get an analog clock. I have a fit watch of a non-particular brand and thankfully the face can be both digital and analog at the same time so i can see it moving but i've also got the numbers for really quick reference pick up a watch pick up an analog clock and make sure it's in your line of sight wherever you need to be conscious of time but don't stress about it get something cheap you can even draw the quarters on it but there's something about an analog clock that our brains get really fundamentally and I think it's because we can see the action of the hands going round, especially the second hand. Get yourself an analog clock. That is recommendation number one. The second thing I recommend are these timers which have a visual section that disappears as the time counts down. I use a time timer. It is amazing and when I set it I suddenly understand just how much time I have, whether that's 10 minutes, 30 minutes or an hour. It makes such a difference and nine times out of 10, the people I recommend it to also have a good experience. Maybe it's helpful if you're more visual and you're fairly regulated in your anxiety and your body. It's worth a shot. If you don't want to splash out on that, there is an app, a free time timer app that does the same thing that you could have on your phone. Although we all know phones and ADHD are a tricky mixture. So only do that if you're not currently dealing with your own infinite scroll battle. The next thing you're going to do is shorten your time horizon. The best way to explain this is to give you an example. Now, for many adults, their time horizon is two or three months maximum. The time horizon gets bigger as we get older and it moves from maybe being a day or a few days as a child up to weeks or months as we're adults. People with ADHD, we tend to get stuck with a fairly short time horizon. And that means that things that pay off in the long term are really difficult. Let's use the example of you want to add a daily walk because that's something I would like to do. When you want to add a daily walk to your routine, there are probably a bunch of really good long term reasons. It's great for your bones. It's good for your heart. It gets you outside your brain will be happier, you'll sleep better. There's so many benefits, you could go on about it all day. What happens? With ADHD, our short time horizon says, yeah, that's all great, but actually this is more fun. This is more important, this is more urgent. And so something that is really significant in the future gets pushed down the list. You could even say, I know I want to go for a daily walk because when I'm 80, I want to be able to keep going for daily walks. And if I go for a walk now, that's going to be great for my skeleton and all these other things. Your brain doesn't care. 
your brain is no. Your brain is thinking no. What can you do? The first idea is to create a consequence that you can feel right now. And there are different ways to do that. I've seen a few platforms or apps where you stake an amount of money. And if you don't reach your goal at the end of the week, you lose your money. Now, personally, I struggle with that one. ADHDers and money is a difficult mixture, especially at this time of year for many people. I struggle with a negative consequence. So if that works for you, by all means, give it a shot. Make sure that the amount of money you are staking against you is enough to make you really commit, but not so much you will be in serious trouble if you can't reach your goal for whatever reason. Give yourself some compassion and grace. So this is one that I would treat with caution, but it's something that I thought I would mention. Instead, I would suggest adding fun, playfulness, joy, connection, as many positive things as you can into your commitment. So let's get imaginative. Could you arrange to meet up with a neighbour or a friend on your daily walk? Maybe someone nearby is working in a similar office. If you're in town and you're working together, you can meet up at the same time and go for lunch and have a walk. Maybe you could meet a neighbour Maybe there's another person who's maybe new to the neighbourhood. Maybe there's someone who's a little bit isolated and you can reach out to them and go for a walk together. So much easier to talk when you're walking. So there is an opportunity for a social connection. You could go even further. You could start your own walking group. Something really informal, something really casual. Maybe once or twice a week you arrange for people who are socially isolated to meet up for a walk. Wouldn't that be amazing? And to me, that ticks a lot of the ADHD boxes. We care so much about other people. We want other people to feel connected and sometimes we can be a bit isolated. So that is one way to make your walking a positive thing. If you're more of a solo bird, maybe a bit more of an introvert, maybe you're a bit more introverted. You could binge on your favourite podcast, make it something that you really enjoy when you go for a walk by yourself. I used to listen to one that was an hour long and the woman told the most incredible stories. I can't remember the name now, but it was a few years ago and I really enjoyed the way she spoke and the the kind of arc of her storytelling was wonderful. This was a real treat for me and I did the same walk every day and it was an hour. What can you do? that makes your walk more fun? Do you need to add the social connection? Do you need to add something that you really love like music or a podcast? Are you motivated by consequences like I will lose a certain amount of money? You don't need to use an online thing. You could, you know, however much you want in a jar and at the end of the week if you've put enough money in the jar you go and do something you love. Go to the cinema, buy a book, buy a new notepad. All of these things are possible and that can help you to experience a reward because we know that rewards are so powerful when we're dealing with things that are maybe not initially or immediately rewarding. Another thing that I found really helpful and this is a bit controversial is to get visual and think about posters. Now I have one that is based on the 4000 weeks book the idea being that the average human has a lifespan of about 4,000 weeks, give or take. And I'm currently looking at about 1,900 weeks left 
I'm more than halfway through and that is up on my wall and it confronts me and I think, oh, okay, <laughs> that's how much time I've got left. Some people might find that a bit too morbid. I quite like it because, you know, it's, I quite like it because I'm very visual. You might also find there's a, there's also an app you can add on a Notion page, a widget, which shows you how much time is left in the week, in the months, in the year and in your average life. A similar kind of idea. I found that really motivating, but I do understand for some people that could be a bit of a trigger. And yes, there are times when I think, if the old, what if I get run over by a bus? But for now, that is enough for me to have a sense of my life progressing and time moving on because I mark off each week. The other thing you might want to do is get really connected with future you. We talked earlier about that study that said emotional disconnect between you in the present and you in the future made change more difficult. How about you spend some time getting really connected with future you and visualise, journal, create Pinterest boards, whatever works for you. But whenever you have a choice about an action, let's use the example of a daily walk, what would future you say? Future you would say, oh, I'm so glad you went for that walk. Your mood is really much better now because let's face it, going for a walk generally does tend to lift our spirits. Future you in a year might say, hey, this is great. Look, you can do a 5k now because you started doing those walks and you got fitter. And you in 10 years might say, this is amazing. Because you were able to go for that walk, I'm able to go for a long walk around a beautiful city with your grown-up child on a European vacation or you are able to walk your best friend down the aisle when they get married to their dream uh, partner in the future. I don't know. Make it as exciting and real as you possibly can and think about future you as much as is helpful. Don't get stuck in the future but if you're struggling with something future you can be a really good person to talk to. And there are other things you can do with that. When I am thinking about things like where to put my medication or where to put things, when to do things, and I've done something deliberately, I thank past me. And I've no doubt that sounds a bit odd to the other people in my house. But I say, thanks past me. That was really helpful because I've taken that action in the past. And I think that makes me feel a bit more connected to future me because I'm already thinking past me. It's all getting a bit meta, isn't it? And one of the things that can help with this future you is thinking about your values. What are your values? What really matters to you? What's your future vision? Spend time on that and then future you is going to become your best ally in taking action that doesn't feel very fun right now. I'm going to end with a couple of don'ts or suggestions not, which is not like me, but I feel like it has to be added in at this point. Please don't ask other people to design your perfect schedule. There are reasons why, but it's very unlikely you're going to be able to stick to it for long. And that's because it needs to come from your brain and things need to be done in the order that you want to do them with your interest and your values at the forefront. So please don't design the schedule for other people. And that includes you parents. You love your kids. You really want them to succeed. You would do anything for them. But I'm going to ask you not to design their schedules because they won't stick to it. And then you will feel ticked off 
and they will feel obliged and it just stay away do not design your child's schedule the caveat to that is if your young person of any age is willing to sit down with you as a partner and the two of you can collaborate on a schedule beautiful go for it that's completely different be aware you're going to have to think carefully about how you respond to some of their suggestions they may be impractical instead of saying no you can't do that explain huh, what would happen to how you sleep or how you feel the next day if you did stay up until 11pm watching Transformers? Try and frame it like that. Get them to think about the consequences. You're doing a little bit of gentle coaching, encouraging their independent thought. And who knows, you might be surprised, but don't try to make it for them. The other thing which is essential is please don't shoot or judge yourself. When it comes to any of this, it's hard. Your brain is literally not wired in the same way and struggles with the concept and the feeling of time passing, that connection with time. It's not something that comes naturally. And as soon as we start to feel ashamed or anxious, our processing uh, potential, our processing slows down and then we become avoidant and we don't want to do things because it feels horrible. And yeah, you're doing it to yourself, but don't shoot or judge yourself. Get playful. Invite yourself into the possibility of what time could look like, what your future could look like. Keep it away from the anxiety and the pressure. So next week, we're going to look at procrastination. There are a few apps that I'm going to mention. I am not connected to them in any way. I have used them and found them useful and or fun. Useful and I wanted to share them with you. So first one is the TimeMator app. And this is something that works on Mac and on phones. And it syncs across both of them. What I love is that it's very visual. You get a lovely graph, colour representation of what you're doing takes a bit of time to set up, but it gives you a really clear feeling of where your time is going. So the TimeMeter app is one that I love and it's a one-time payment rather than an ongoing ongoing subscription. There's a website called Focus at Will, which helps you to focus with music and music is a really powerful modality for many of us and you can choose and it helps you to choose the right kind of music. So that one is also a recommendation. There's the classic rescuetime.com, which is all about looking at where your time is going and what you're doing with it. It's a bit more productivity based. It's not one that I use personally. I stick with TimeMator, but it's worth a look. And if you want to know more about time perspective therapy, there is a website, which is thetimeparadox.com. I don't know if it's still being updated, but I will include it in the show notes as well just for your interest. So although we've spent a lot of time talking about time and how we feel time and why time is difficult, next week we're going to move on to looking at things like planning, prioritisation, procrastination, activation and why we put things off when we know we have to do them anyway and what you can do about it. It's going to be a cracker of an episode for the 10th episode of Powerful Possibilities and I cannot wait to share that with you next week. I cannot wait to share that with you next week. As always, if you've got any questions about something you hear in the show, please get in touch with me. I'm on all socials as ADHD 
underscore coach underscore Catherine with a K. And you can also find me on my website, lightbulbadhd.com. And thank you for all the support and the lovely comments and the feedback on the podcast. It makes such a difference to the production of this podcast and I love sharing it with you. So thank you for keeping in touch and thank you for all the support. Thank you for joining us today on Powerful Possibilities, Navigating ADHD from New Diagnosis and Beyond. We're all about equipping you with the tools and insights that you need to thrive. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and share it with someone else you know who might benefit or who you want to understand you better. Remember, your journey with ADHD is an ongoing journey of growth but you're not alone anymore. Until next time, this is Catherine reminding you that with the right guidance, the possibilities really are powerful and endless. Take care.